And there's going to be a pretty good Stuart Bray presence in the next edition of my book. Well, I hope I don't fuck it up. I hope not, too. Well, dude, we... um. We've had quite a response, haven't we, from uh, our previous podcast yeah, already? I haven't, I haven't looked at the email today to see how many more there were, but it, you probably got enough to, to call a winner. Well, we got about 30. What I'm thinking of, because uh, we put a, a time limit on at the end of the month, so what I'm thinking of doing is oh. uh, just uh, putting them all in a hat, print off the names, put them on a hat, and then pick the 22nd name. That's probably the safest and fairest way of doing it. But it was good, and we've had a few people respond as well to the the education question, which is good. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm very excited about what that will mean. So yeah, again, to reiterate, if you nice. have heard the, the the number twenty two, the last podcast, we're asking anyone who's been either a student or a tutor, or is a student or is a tutor at a college, um, about your experience at makeup school uh, and and the kind of problems that you're facing, because I think there are some issues that need to be discussed um with regards to <laughs> the the Agreed. way things are being taught um and uh it's it's kind of like the stuff people aren't really talking about and i'd like to start the discussion so that's what we're going to do with that um the other good thing was very cool is uh, the other day what turned up my book my leading ladies of makeup effects book which i've got yeah. right here Good on you, Gary Pat. That's great. It's amazing. If you're not seeing this, it's uh, it's called The Leading Ladies of Makeup Effects. If you do a Google search for it, you'll find it. And it's by uh, um, Gary Christensen and Patricia L. Terry and uh, husband and wife team. And they've been working on this for a while. And it's shedding some spotlight on well-known, but not so well-known as they should be well-known, um, female makeup artists in the industry. And it's it's a, I haven't read it through yet. I've, I've read like the first couple of chapters and I've scanned through the whole thing. And I know um, you can get it. I know it's available on Amazon now too. Yeah, it's available on Amazon, and it, it's fantastic, and it's it's lovely to see you know some people in there that I've I've known and 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 a whole bunch that I've never met, um, and you just don't realize just how much influence they've had and the things they've been working on. So, I would recommend that book heartily. It looks fantastic. Mine's a yeah. If you don't trophy. know the names, you will definitely know the work. Definitely, but this is the thing: it's all this sort of hidden stuff. It's all going on, and uh, and and you know people don't realize what what is involved and who did it. But, uh, yeah, I've got mine, uh, numbered 26 out of 207. So that's exciting. Signed. Wow. It's very exciting. So I'm going to read that. So that'll be my other book. That, this, this book, and the other one with, that I have is the, um, the um, Making a Fright Night book as well, mm, which I, I still haven't read through. I just got a copy of um, Joe Nazaro's book on... Well, Star Trek. Joel Harlow's Star Trek. Yeah, that looks fantastic. Makeup, which is... Wow, is it eye candy? There's that, and there's also the Michael Westmore book as well. He, Michael Westmore's written the foreword in this book actually, uh, for 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 Gary and Pat. But I haven't I haven't actually read his his biography because I know Michael. There's Westmore's. a lot of, a lot of new reading material. I hope after I get mine my book finished, <laughs> I hope I have some time to to read some other people's. Well, it's stuff. good because we'll get these ones for this Christmas, and then the following Christmas we need a whole bunch of new things. So that's good. We'll get that for that one. <laughs> one thing we didn't mention. On the last one, because we were all busy and thinking, was it was Halloween. I mean, I know that was a couple of weeks ago now, but um, it was Halloween. How was your Halloween? Did you get up to much? Did you do much? Or were you just working? No, it was it was um, it was fun. You know, I, if I'm not teaching or on a gig, which last year I think I got home from a gig just in time for trick or treaters to start showing up. Uh, this year I was home. 
Um, but I'm just so crazed with trying to get the third edition of my book finished by December 1st. Mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't any time to to dress up actually i've got a, a, a full head silicone zombie mask that i made a few years back and i'd put it on and wait for the doorbell to ring <laughs> it wouldn't ring so i'd take the damn thing off and as soon as i set it down the the doorbell would ring. <laughs> and that happened maybe six or six or seven times so i finally said fuck it i'm just, I'm just gonna it. just gonna go in the door and and throw candy at the kids. Um, but I, I did, um, last year got to do, uh, NFL, uh, yes, I remember that football player, Vaughn Miller and some of his buddies on, on the Denver Broncos did his Halloween makeup last year. And we did it again this year and had a great time. It, it's a, it's a hoot. He's a, he's a, he's a funny kid and we had a great time and then did a couple of other, um, makeups for people I hadn't met until they came by to for us to do the makeup for, for Halloween parties and did some pretty neat stuff. Um, Scott ramp, uh, scream team pieces were what we used on, on one of the makeups and it turned out great. This guy, we, we did wanted to be, he wanted to be unrecognizable at this party and he was completely unrecognizable to any of his friends all night and wound up winning like three different costume contests that night. Fantastic. So yeah, I guess all in all, it was it was fun. It was a a nice relief, the stress and feeling of uh, getting the third edition all organized and ready to turn in. Mm-hmm. The writing's mostly done. Uh, now it's just dotting all the dotting all the i's and crossing all the t's and making sure everything's formatted properly, so that. When I turn it in, my editor won't call me and say, "What the hell is wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which she might anyway. I don't know. It seems like each subsequent edition is more difficult than the previous one, just because there's so much more new information. I don't want to get rid of old information because it's still valid. Mm-hmm. You know, as as you know, there's more than one way to do everything we do, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to provide a broad spectrum of how to do the stuff that we do mm-hmm. without eliminating what already exists and adding to it with improved methods, new methods, updating everything, but still trying to keep the same flow that I had in the first edition mm-hmm. and still make it sound like it's me talking rather than a mechanical textbook. Yeah, I think that's important because but there's going to be it. some amazing stuff. Oh my god! I can't wait, man. It's the the cool. new stuff is is crazy because what's been missing um, has been. I mean, every chapter shows how to do every facet of a makeup, but up until now, there hasn't been one. One makeup that's shown all the way through the book mm-hmm. from design through application. And this time there are five. Amazing. I can't wait to see it, man. <laughs> yeah. From Matthew Mumble and Karen Jackson and Kevin Wasner. And it's going to, it's, oh my God. <laughs> it's awesome. cool shit. See, you love this, really. <laughs> I do. It's I just do. kicking I just, your ass. I just don't deal well with stress. It's just kicking my ass, yeah. Oh, my God. 
So this Halloween, uh, did you? How many zipper faces and pencils in the nose and uh, well, playing cards in the uh, face did you see this year? Absolutely zero. Um, <laughs> for the most part, it kind was, of the eye. <laughs> it was kids under under the age of ten. Oh, that's good. Which is why how it's in the past it's been so easy for me to to make them cry. Uh, <laughs> last year I actually did did some make. I think it was last year. Maybe it was the year before. Um, I had a little time to to get ready, and I, I, have, I have a couple of fog machines. So we have a, a kind of a front porch area at the beginning of the house, you know, where where the plants are, you know, you know, and big windows. So I completely fogged up that that front porch area of the house, and a strobe light going. So the strobe lights going, and all you can see is just white noise there's nothing there the doorbell would ring i'd come in my zombie total zombie gear and smash headfirst into the glass door <laughs> and i must have had 10 or 12 drop everything and run because <laughs> you're a tall chap i mean it doesn't I'm come across sure. in the podcast but you're quite I'm a not sure. tall chap i'm not chap. sure how much candy i gave out but we had a lot left over at the end of the night <laughs> <laughs> and and some some extra bags because literally they I, that would happen and they would just drop their shit and run. Amazing. Well, now you do one dad. Right, one right? dad came to the door with his uh, maybe maybe a five year old kid in, in costume, and I did it, and he screamed like a girl and took off and just left his kids standing there. <laughs> It was, a, it was an awkward moment between the two of us, but yeah, dead, dead, finally came back up. And so that's did a the trick or treat thing, <laughs> and, and they took off. So that's a win for you. Some people, by, some people, you know, because a lot of people in the neighborhood know what I do for a living, mm -hmm. so they come by just to see what, what gonna I'm going to do. It's <laughs> a certain expectation on you. Well, you're the yeah, one that does so the countdown need, on Facebook. I need to ramp it up because I haven't, I haven't done my. This year, I didn't do anything special, and it would be nice to be because I love, I love the holiday, but I'm always busy, so I know it. Boom! Suddenly, it's it's Halloween, and I, you know, I do my countdown starting 90 days out, but I'm usually so busy doing other things that it's like a rain dance. I don't have it? time to to really prepare anything for me. Yeah. So uh, the the main meat of this um, or tofu of this uh, podcast is the is the five things you need to know about prosthetic makeup. And when we mm -hmm. we, we did this originally as a as a as a talk at IMAX in uh, LA earlier this year, two thousand seventeen in January, which was good fun. And <sighs> hard to believe it's almost a year. I know it's pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah, how that time's gone. But it's 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 the five things that I don't really see people discussing, uh, or, or the the five things that I think are very very difficult, um, and the the things that, like I said, I haven't seen addressed, which is why I wanted to kind of bring them up and discuss them. And again, if at any point you feel you know listening to this that these are things that you want to know more about, then just do drop us an email. Our email is Stuart and Todd at gmail dot yep. com. Because we do like to hear from you guys. And we'll, one of the, maybe one of these days we'll figure out how we can do this as a as a live deal, and people can chime in with questions, and we can respond. That would be very good. We should do something like that. That's a very good idea. Um, 
yeah because the 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 thing about a lot of the makeup is uh, what what i find is when i'm teaching is i i want to condense it down into into principles you know give people the idea of how to use a compass rather than a map do you know what i mean so you have a general sense Mm -hmm. that is applicable in in all different kinds of situations and i think that the question that you need to ask yourself when you're trying to learn and if you want to learn how to do this stuff i think you need to have this at the front of your brain is what is it you need to be good at in order to create good appliance makeups what is it you need to do in order to get better um and that's basically um it was it was think about these things in the round that made me sort of think about, you know, what is it that's hard? What is it? And that's why we sort of settle on these five different things, which we chatted about. And we we had a great time talking to the crowd about it. Um, But I thought, not that I've deliberately sat on it for this long, but it's just like, we should use this now because I think um, this is very relevant uh, to people who are learning. So this is basically what it's for. Um, So I'm going to start off with number one. And I think the first thing to say um, is that it's hard to be subtle. Number one, it's hard to be subtle. And uh, it, you'll see this when people do makeups is that, you know, like a like a toddler trying to learn to walk, you take these massive clumsy steps and it's hilarious when you watch kids learn how to walk. Um, and the same is true as making things. When you start making things, um, you know, it's very kind of clumsy. And the world isn't built for learning. People, especially at college, they kind of train for the test. You know what I mean? And you need the space to be able to make mistakes and be clumsy and, and do things badly. And I would say in order to get used to being subtle, I think it's good to do things several times in order to get past that initial kind of clumsiness. So doing wounds, for example, if you're interested in prosthetics, I think doing wounds is a good thing to do first because you can do stuff that's messy and bloody and bruisy. And then over time, once you've learned about how to put the glues down and how to fix edges, then you can start making things less bloody and less bruising and, and you can make them cleaner, um, you know, and then you arrive at subtle, but without having fucked up everything utterly. If you, if subtle at the beginning is your aim, you're not going to do it because you have to ex- accept that you're going to be clumsy and heavy. Oh, sure. the, 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 the first wounds that almost everybody sculpts don't look like real wounds at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Flesh volcanoes. The, the way this, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, they're, they're very non-subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The tendency, I think, starting out is is to go big. I don't know if it's a matter of of enthusiasm uh, and just wanting to barrel down the highway and and do it because mm-hmm. you're so excited to be doing it. I mean, I think that's true for everybody. You know, some some people are going to be better at things than other people mm-hmm. um that's that's the beauty of it you know with that we have such such a broad variety of of artists working in the field that that all do beautiful work and it's all different mm-hmm. it's true but it takes it takes a long time to finally get something that looks real mm-hmm. but you kind of want to be you know, you want to be a lot, you want to be with people when they're doing this stuff because when they do stuff and it's heavy handed, you kind of want to just give them a hug and go, "That's fine." Do you know what I mean? That's 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 what the especially if it's like the first couple of times you've done it, it's like this is what it looks like when you do it for the first time. It's not easy to do. If it was easy to do, everyone would be doing it. It's it's not yeah. well. Let's put it this way: it's hard to do well. It's very easy to do badly, <laughs> um, but it's it's not easy to do well. 
it's but it's it's dealing with that sensation of difficulty because there's so many things nowadays that are designed to work or be easy because that's sort of you know if you can make an app easy to use if you can make you know software it is used there's it there's obviously a, a sense in which it makes sense to make things easy to use and it leads to a false sense of ability so that when people come across things which are genuinely hard to do it almost feels like it's wrong like the thing is broken because it's hard and it's like that's right. not the case with a lot of stuff and it it really needs to be understood that you know Things, some things are just hard, and there's like a, a, a there's a really good book by Seth Godin uh, called The Dip, and it's basically mm. it's getting through that um, you know that 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 sort of um, depression in in you know there's a steep learning curve. There's always a, this 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 kind of scoop of, of 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 difficulty that you've got to wade through with anything, and I, I a lot of people are discouraged from doing so because I think a lot of things in life have been built to avoid that feeling and it's a feeling well, you kind of, of need comes, to make friends with from uh, a sense of of impatience too you know when people are just starting out they're they're starting to take classes and take, take private tutoring or whatever they're doing to learn how to do it because they're very excited about it yeah and sometimes the tendency when you're really excited about learning something is you want to tackle a huge project that's beyond your ability, beyond your scope, you know, and, yeah. and part of our jobs as, as instructors is to maintain that level of enthusiasm while helping them understand that trying to do something that you don't know how to do yet, mm -hmm. you know, the Scale it back. Start start small. Start start with something that I don't want to curb your enthusiasm, but at the same time I don't want to just let you go ahead. This is not going to work because you don't know how to do all of these comp. You you don't know how to make a, a plate mold yet. So doing a five piece jacket mold is going to fail. Hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're in a class of 30 students. I've got other students I need to talk to and, and help out. If you want to take this project on, I'm not going to tell you you can't do it. But the chances for success, if you've never done it before without help, are almost nil. And you let them do that, and it fails the way you knew it was going to fail. Mm. And they lose interest, and they quit doing stuff altogether. Yeah, which is a tragedy because then it just kind of like, well, you know, I couldn't do it. And it's just like, oh, no, what you've experienced so is what we all experience line. when we do this. It's the same feeling. Yeah, right? So it's a fine line you have to dance to maintain their – help maintain their level of enthusiasm mm -hmm. but get them comfortable with doing something smaller before – moving on to something bigger absolutely I, I think that's work, that that's a big mantra for that until you until you've got that down yeah and then go outside your comfort zone and get good at that and then go outside your comfort zone and get good at that yeah i think that's it's true a, i mean you know, a, there are stages of um proficiency you have to go through before you can try to do that yes elaborate project that you want to have i mean don't lose don't lose sight of that project keep it there you want to do it cool but there are other things you need to learn how to do before you're going to be 
be able to do that and be happy with it. Yeah. I mean, it would be like randomly just saying, oh, I want to run a marathon tomorrow. It's like, well, have you been running? Have you, been, you know, can you run 10 miles? Because if you can't run 10 miles, you've no business running a marathon. You know, if you've never exercised, you would be a fool to start an Ironman. You know what I mean? You have to build up to that. Yep. And if you do, you'll, yep. you know, collapse after three miles and then you'll be so scared off of it, you won't go back. So, um, yes. I don't know how to swim, but uh, I can bike real well. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of swimming the channel. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. I think it is that thing. It's it's that mantra is I think is yeah. It's do do something small, do it well, and then scale up. Um, because that way you can sort of maintain subtlety. Because I think that's what people love when they see makeups that they admire. It in a way, it's the subtlety of things. It's the fact that they can't actually see the mechanism of the makeup at work. They just see the finished character. When you look mm -hmm. at Gary Oldman as Churchill he just looks like Churchill. You don't see yeah. where the piece stops and starts. You don't see any hair work. You don't see any painting. You just see this, this old fat dude. So it's and like that ability doesn't come it, overnight. No. And it's, it's not the work of one person either. I mean, I know Kazu and David Malinowski, you know, did a bunch of stuff, but it's, there's a team of people working behind this and they all went through the same phases of, of, of feeling bad about themselves, not being very good. And, you know, after years of experience, and if you look at that and then try and do that at college with latex and plaster for the first time and expect to get the same results. And then when you don't like, you know, you feel like you failed. It's like, well, that, that's a stupid expectation. There's a really good poster that brick in the art have. It's just like a, a kind of a, a vector drawing of a guy with his head in his hands. And it's something like tempering ambition since 1986 or something like that. And it's just like, it's true in a way you kind of like, you need to just like have the dreams. You can have dreams, but they've got to be based on reality, <laughs> which you'll find out at yeah, cost and, later and, if you haven't addressed it now. You know, and those those skills come at a cost. They do, they really do. But you can do something good. Just do it small and and do it well. Like scale it down. Do something decent. But um, but that is yeah. something I think that is worth saying. You know, on day one of of makeup school, I want you all to know it's hard to be subtle. It's not easy. The subtlety, because it's subtle, looks like there's not a lot there, but it's it's hard to achieve that. So don't underestimate that. Number two, there are other important qualities to recreating skin than just the shape and color. Um, and what I mean by that is I remember trying to create the Lost Boys vampire brow when I was a kid. It was about 15 years old, 16 years old, whenever it came out. Um, and I tried to create the vampire brow with wax on my forehead. And then I tried later uh, using latex to make latex appliances and I was fucking clumsy. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember thinking that if I mixed up some paint that was the right color, then in the cup, it would just look like a cup of skin. But of course, that's not what a cup of paint looks like because a, a cup of liquid is shiny and smooth and flat and horizontal, whereas my face is, you know, vertical, upright, it has texture, it has grease at the time, it had spots. It wasn't any one color like a pot of paint was. It was wrong. Um, and there's, I've identified, I think, three things you kind of need to be aware of with skin. One is translucency. Mm -hmm. The second is softness of the piece. And the third is the sheen. And I'll go through all these things and you can chip in with this. The translucency thing, I mean, it took me a while to figure out that there's there's other things that you need to be aware of when it's your job to recreate skin. Uh, the trick is to make something that's the correct amount. So it needs to be the appliance you're making. If it's silicon, it needs to be, or, or gelatin it needs to be the same opacity as skin. And that means sure, that I mean, all... you, you've shown the flashlight, you've shown a torch behind your hand and you can, and it just 
you can see through your fingers uh-huh. gives you gives you a good idea of the translucency of of your skin. Yeah, that you can kind of see what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Depends on the, on the material too, you know, because you're you're kind of behind the eight ball right out of the gate working with foam latex because by its very nature it's opaque mm-hmm. um, and human skin is not no and then there is a level of translucency but not but not but not completely but it's not waxy it's not Uh, no and then a lot of people i think because they get excited because they have a translucent material they make it too translucent which it still looks shit because then when you put any makeup over the top is it casts a shadow you know the make where the makeup stops there's a little shadow underneath the opaque makeup so it's not right to make it opaque richard martin did a really really nice age makeup at the last um uh, prosthetics trade show last year the prosthetics event last year 2016 and it, there was something about the quality of it that i couldn't quite put my finger on and i saw him putting it on um and he explained to me that the thing that made it work well was the amount of pigment he put in and the pieces were quite they weren't opaque but they were quite opaque but it was deliberate mm-hmm. and the reason was it meant all those sculpted folds and wrinkles that he did in the sculpt could be seen because they didn't let light pass through the material, which meant like real skin. Cause when you live cast people, sometimes they look at the cast. I had one actress once say to me that she didn't think this was her face cast, even though the entire process didn't leave the room once because she saw it as opaque surface. And so uh-huh. she was presented with textures that she doesn't see in her real skin but you do see them in plaster. So it was important for the makeup for it to be when he made the pieces, he made them right opacity. And it was like, there was a quality about the makeup. I couldn't put my finger on. And it was the opacity of the pieces. They were quite opaque. They weren't solid opaque, but they were more opaque than you see a lot of the time. And that meant that all of the sculpted texture could be seen. He didn't need to paint wrinkles in because they were already fucking there. He'd already sculpted them like real skin. So there are sometimes, you know, skins, most uh, is is over ninety percent opaque. Okay, maybe, maybe even ninety eight percent opaque. So and and depending on the it's skin just a color as well. Little bit of translucency. Mm-hmm. Well, we did this really nice. Um, uh, it was a course. It was is the Thomas Serpent course we did at Create Media Skills at Pinewood last uh, earlier this year. And uh, there was a you know we, we he did this whole thing where he mixed up primary colors to mix up all these different flesh tones, and when we did some very dark skin appliances. He would mix up um, some of his prosthetic paint, you know, to be the same color. And because it was darker skin, because it reflects less light, the more opaque paint finish worked better than just sticking mm-hmm. to translucent washes because you actually need that level of opacity because, again, it's, it's, it's all about the right opacity. So, you know, the amount of translucency needs to be correct for the piece, for the skin, you know, so... Um, you don't want to be too, too opaque. You don't want to be too translucent. The point is you need to make it the correct opacity. But the translucency is a consideration. It, it, Absolutely. It, it is a factor. If, if, if something can be the right color, but if it's too translucent or too opaque, it's going to look wrong. So consider the translucency. Yeah, and if it's, if it's too translucent, then then you're you're losing the, the color match as well. Yeah, and it looks like a fucking wax crayon, which, you know, yeah. is bullshit. So you don't want to Crayola that shit up. That's not good. So what's one of the other considerations? Softness. Um, the, softness. Soft, the softness of the material needs to be right. Um, 
matching the softness matters and that can mean multiple appliances of different softnesses if you've got long pointy ears or long thin nose you probably don't want that too soft because long pointy ears are going to flop around like a billiard ball in a sock you don't need that if your character's keeping still but your ears aren't then you know your pieces are not soft enough. they may need stiffening with some kind of you know rod or something inside but uh whereas a neck which does a lot of you know left right squishes compresses and, mm-hmm. and turns a neck needs to be very soft so basically you need to make the piece as soft as the skin that it's sitting on because if it isn't as soft as the skin Cheeks, it's sitting on soft, it's not going to yeah. work exactly it needs to Noses are pretty stiff. Yeah, noses are stiff. They've got cartilage in it. And again, if you're coming out a long way, because you can't move the nose like you can move your neck. So there's no real no. reason to. Neil uh, Gordon I mean, did this thing. with He made ears, a lot of ears out of, uh, of slip latex because ears don't move. And slip latex, you just pop it on and then you slip your silicon pieces around the face. And it works really well. It's a really fucking good idea. Um, it's know? nice. Yeah, you, you can do... You can do um, slush cast latex in for for ears into mold i've even done ears where i've brushed up, done a, a a brush up build over a positive of the sculpt of the ear mm-hmm. which which will work because there's there's almost no texture mm-hmm. well no, you don't really look at the ears do you that much you know you don't really no. engage and with the ears you know, so there, there, there's hair on over them and we rarely are going to see behind the ear unless there's a reason to to be looking behind somebody's ear in a in a shot. It's got to be story related. I tell I tell my students also, you know, it's never about the makeup. It's always about the performance. Mm-hmm. Makeup is intended to be in support of a performance. You just don't want the makeup so, to be a distraction, <laughs> which means you did a shit yeah, job. Yeah, so but, if, but if you're never gonna if you're never gonna see the character from behind how how well the ear fits behind the, the actor's ear mm-hmm. doesn't matter mm, true it's where how you see it from the side and the front that's going to be important mm-hmm. um but yeah the slush latex ears are great because ears don't have texture the way a nose does no but also the, there's no there's no movement to the ear because the movement is the thing because the other thing is i mean if you're making foam latex for example you'd have to you know do a high-rise foam so it's softer so it moves beautifully but um typically a soft foam is harder to handle i mean getting a foam into a syringe you know if it's really really soft it's it's, it's you know it's just fucking nightmare to try and get in um but it's the same with silicon you know if you make a piece really really soft it's harder to actually handle that piece you know, the cat's attacking you. <laughs> she's, she's, she's she's trying to get my attention. She's, she's tapping me on the shoulder. It's hilarious. You know, she's patting me on the shoulder. Oh, sweet. Mew. But, um, yeah, with silicon that are really, you know, when silicon pieces are really, really soft, they're not that easy to handle. And that's the curse of it. It's like if you have a piece that's really soft, it moves beautifully, but it's not easy to handle because it's, you know, because it's so soft, it's it's hard to break. And I've also had people um say that the glue that they use was shit they'll say oh, i stuck a piece on in silicon um i used like 10 percent deadener and the glue was shit i use prosade it's like well prosade doesn't stick to the silicon when it's that hard because the thing is there's only so much stick you can get from a glue so if the piece you make mm-hmm. is too stiff and it's on an area where with a lot of movement the glue can't keep up and also it just looks bad because if the skin is flexing you know if a neck is, is twisting left and right 
and the piece can't keep up with the skin you end up with you know the skin folding over the edges of the harder silicon it bulges and looks weird so you have to make the piece soft enough so that it moves correctly but also from a practical point of view it means it doesn't tax the glue so much you know sometimes when a piece pops off it ain't because the glue's not working it's because the piece is too stiff and it can't stretch sufficiently it would hurt you know the skin for it to 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 stretch that much so you do need to make the piece the the correct softness so again softness is a consideration the last um consideration is sheen um often when you spray cat plastic into molds the overriding concern is release you don't want the cat plastic to stick so a lot of the times people over release their molds Mm -hmm. um so you just want to know that if nothing else, the appliance will come out. So they put loads and loads of Vaseline in, which is the correct thing to do. But you need to wipe a lot of that out because the, the trouble is if the surface of the mold is shiny, then the cap plastic will be shiny too because that's the surface it went into. So you can yep. powder it, but it's not necessarily sticky. So the powder doesn't stick to it. Um, so what you can do, and I don't know who told me this. I think it was Alexandra Wathy told me this, but that she got it from someone where they put powdered sugar on the inside of molds after the release, but before the cat plastic. Then you airbrush your cat plastic in the piece, run it as normal. When you pop the piece out, you just rinse water to dissolve the powdered sugar. And the powdered sugar residue that was in there basically leaves a matte or a matter finish, which is good because the matte finish is typically what you're after. Um, so that's a little You can tip. do the same thing with, with um, Cabasil and TS-100. Okay. Uh, which is essentially a, a fume silica also is a PS100 matting agent. You can dust that in, and or you could even mix a little of that in with the cap plastic, as long as you're not messing with the the thinness so it'll still spray. Mm-hmm. You can mix a little of that directly in with the cap plastic, and, and you'll get a more matte finish than, than if, if you didn't. Okay. That's interesting to know. I never tried that. I have tried cat plastic with silicon when I'm making silicon props because I've, uh, mm-hmm. I think Waldo Mason told me about it. We put a little cabasil into like Wacker AO7, thin that, spray that on, and it just mats the finish beautifully. I know Factor 2 make a very good uh, powder, I think, for, for finishing silicon as well. Tom McLaughlin has a has a product called um, Silicone Finishing Powder, which is these is little that that? Oh, mic- sorry. microspheres. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that it's it's cosmetic grade. That's the one. I was thinking um, factor two. You're stuff. right. It's 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 Tom McLaughlin. Oh my God! Is is that that stuff's amazing? Yeah. It takes takes the shine off of everything, not just silicone, but and it's it's, it's because it's the microsphere. It gets into the material, so it's not gonna it's not gonna rub off with a wet cloth. It's there for good. Good to know. Good to know. I should put a yeah, link on that on the website. It's great stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm even using that now as a as a finishing finishing powder. Um, sometimes in place of um, the RCMA no color powder. That's silicon finishing powder. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Great stuff. I'm gonna put that down on From the from Silicone post. Arts. Silicone Arts, and he's got a, a another edition of his book coming out, hasn't he? Yeah, he's working on working on an updated version of it. And I've I've got the original and it's 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 encyclopedic. Well, there is a cash buyer right here, just so you know, because I bought the um, there's a factor two book of making of prosthetics, which is like an old maxillofacial prosthetics book, which I'm waiting through as well. I got that from factor two. 
Let me that. Yeah, I've, I've got Tom's Tom's books sitting right here on on my desk somewhere underneath all this crap. But sheen sheen is definitely a thing, and I've noticed it when people are painting pieces. Oh, there you go, silicon art. Materials, methods, and techniques for yeah, painting silicon. Brilliant. Oh my god. I want to get that. Amazing. I want to get that. Well, there's a cash buyer right here waiting for that. Um, yeah, the, um, the, 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 I have seen people when they're painting, particularly silicon pieces, like I say, because often they're shiny because of the act of release, uh, has left a shiny finish in there. So the cat plastic takes on that shine and they may, when people are painting that up, sometimes the color is the right color. They've got the right color. And the reason it looks wrong isn't because the color's wrong. It's because the sheen is wrong because the skin that they're comparing it to isn't shiny like the pieces so it's very often a good idea to mat the piece down or uh, to shine the piece up depends what it is if someone's supposed to be sweaty then you may need to you know um, gloss it up but it's usually a good idea to mat the piece down because yep. then you can see the color without the reflection and then once it's matted down then you can kind of gloss up the whole thing and if you've watched the mentalist the tv show the mentalist Mm-hmm. And that uh, I can't remember I the name of the guy, but there he's in, in the later seasons. He has a, a boss, black guy with a bald head. I can't remember his name. Really cool character. But anyway, at no point is his head shiny, and that must be someone's full time job to keep on top of that, because that is just a big area of skin to reflect light. Yeah, and the not, darker not the skin, the more apparent do. the reflection. So you know, his big bald shiny head is never shiny. It's always matted down. And I noticed that. I was like, that is someone's job to keep on top of that. He's always wearing a suit and there's often fighting going on and it's always matte. And so whoever does that is very impressive. He's keeping that shiny away, which is good. But yeah, sheen is an issue that is not necessarily something that's to do with color. Um, so it can affect the color, but isn't actually directly related with color. Number three, believe in primary colors. And this is something Amen, I do. Amen, brother. I, I do this every time when I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a, a, a makeup class. I'll, I'll start talking about color theory and bring out these primary colors. And everyone looks at me like I'm a fucking idiot. And it's it's amazing no, how every no. time the color blue comes into play and just shuts that shit right down. It's it's quite it's like it's red, like, blue, and yellow can make anything. I mean, in a word, let me just explain this. If you haven't read in our in the prosthetics magazine, I think it was number four. We did an article about primary colors. I also did. Uh, oh, we did. We did. A, it was a three-part color theory series. That's right. And uh, I did a blog post about primary colors, uh, which again I'll put the the link to that on the podcast on the podcast blog page. Uh, the trick with any color theory is is believing in primary colors. What I mean is, your printer. If you have a printer, if you rip open that printer and look at those printer cartridges or the toner cartridges. The colors that it comes with as magenta, which is red. It's the C- red without any C-N-Y-K. yellow. In it. Yeah. Cyan, which is blue, yellow, yellow, and black. And it prints on white paper. And those three primary colors, the black, print on white paper. Those can print flesh tones. So it is possible to create a flesh tone with those colors. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to mix a flesh tone up from scratch every time. Although, you should be able to. But the point is... If you understand how to mix a flesh tone, it's very easy to tweak an existing flesh tone. The analogy I like, the analogy I like is, I remember seeing a documentary about Pan Am when Pan Am were flying. And apparently a lot of the pilots 
for Pan Am used to fight in the war. They were like, you know, Air Force pilots. So they knew the engines back to front. And there was like anecdotal rumor that they could strip the plane down or strip the engine down and put it back together. I don't know how true that is. But the point was, if you could build an engine from scratch, like if you could sit there with a lathe and presumably, you know, back in the day with racing cars, there were people that did this, you know, in the early days of racing, people would build things from scratch. If you can build something from scratch, you can repair something because you understand how it is made because it's less of an issue to repair something than to make it from scratch. And it, I feel that way about flash tones. I think it's a good exercise to learn how to make flash tones with just primary colors. And it's what Thomas Serpinon did when he taught class. And it was amazing to watch mm -hmm. because you could basically mix everyone's flesh tone in that room with the primary colors and white, you know, and you, you saw it happen. So you need to believe in primary colors. Um, it's kind of like making soup. If you've got a soup that's not savory enough, you need, you need to add some salt to it to enhance the flavor. Assume you don't have a high blood pressure and you're allowed salt. Um, if it was lacking bite, you'd put salt in it. Now, if it tasted of salt, then you fucked it up and put too much in. But the trick is to put enough salt in that it has a savory tang to it, but it doesn't taste of salt. And a lot of times, that's what it's like with primary colors. Sometimes it just needs a little bit of blue or a little bit of yellow or a little bit of red to neutralize a color. If it's too orange, mm -hmm. it needs blue. And if it looks blue, if it goes smurf blue, then you fucked it up, you put too much blue in. But the trick is to not you only put enough blue in that it stops being too orange. As soon as it stops being too orange, that's when you stop, which comes back to point one, which is it's hard to be subtle. It's, it's putting in just enough, uh, enough blue. And that's the thing. It's, 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 you know, if your desktop printer can do it, then it's proof you can do it. Yeah. So work, work in small amounts, equal amounts of red, blue, and yellow make brown and you add white to lighten your tones down and then depending on whether you want it to go more olive or neutral or warm then you've got your red blue and yellow that you add one or two teensy bits of those colors to push your brown in the direction you need it to go mm -hmm for the skin tone you're trying to match. And see, now it's interesting you say brown. It's not because... hard. It just, takes, it just takes practice. Yeah. I mean, it's like you were saying about, um, I remember you were the one that told me that acrylic paints could be used to pigment like plat gel. And I didn't believe Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I didn't believe it at all. And I tried it because I had, I got to try this out. And it fucking worked. And it's like, you know, you can use acrylic paints as silicon pigments. You know, I mean, I would do a test. Like if you've paid for a bunch of silicon, because silicon is not cheap per kilo. You know, don't put like the no. all of your silicon. You know, don't make. I do a small test just to make sure that the the paint you have does work, because Liquitex or De La Rowney or Liquid, yeah. you know, Winsor Newton, the Liquitex brands and Basic works because uh, it's it's owned by Liquitex. Yeah, uh, but yeah, do it do a test. Do a test um, with a small amount because if it doesn't go well and it fucks up, you've done it to a small amount rather than a large amount. But it should not inhibit. The, I will tell you the this mix. though. If you're using, say, if you're using one of the, the one-component tin silicones, you thin it out um, to, to paint with, or you're, you're patching a, a hole, you're using the smooth-on still pox, and you're mixing the, the acrylic paint into that, be real careful because there is water content in the, in the, the acrylic paint, and water will accelerate the cure of tin silicone. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called condensation cure. Do you know, I Moist, remember it requires it requires moisture 
to cure and the water content in the paint kicks that up a notch. I've I learned this the hard way. I was mixing a patch for a silicone Shrek glove to patch a little a little hole in one of the fingertips and I mixed the the vivid long green from Liquitech into the into a little bit of silpoxy and it set up on me before I was finished mixing it. Wow. That was a lesson lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, it was just a, a small amount. But just know that it, it will accelerate the the the, the cure of of your tin silicone. But if yeah. you're thinning it with with naphtha or or heptane or whatever you're using to thin your your silicone for painting, that's going to counteract that, and that will extend your your working time a little bit more. Sure. But I mean, if you're just putting straight straight paint into straight silicone watch your six <laughs> i mean you could use uh you know silicon pigments because then you wouldn't have that issue but i have found the trouble is getting yeah. the good colors and silicon pigments is tricky getting primary colors and silicon pigments and flocking is not always easy but you can yeah. get good colors in, in acrylic paints so that would be good it's interesting you were saying that i remember colin ware and this was on saving private ryan so this would have been 1996 um he was making some stringy guts and he mixed up the the one pack the bathroom sealant the right color and he yeah. put a few drops of water in it and then he would squidge this into uh you know saran wrap cling film and roll it up to make it the shape and then when the cling film you know could be peeled off once the silicon had set and the reason he added water he told me was because it had you know was condensation cure so it helped kicked off the silicon so it would set faster and i remember that so that was that was always something that stuck in my head that water does indeed do that. So Colin Ware, thank you very much for that one. Uh, so yeah, believe in primary colors. I think the hard thing is when, when a color is wrong, it's hard because in your head, you're thinking it's wrong. It's not the same. And it's believing that red, blue, or yellow are the colors or combinations of those colors is going to get you out of that fix. And the truth is it will, if it, if you can see it with your eyes, it, it belongs to the visible spectrum of colors and it's 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 the mm -hmm. use of those primary colors that will pull you out of it. And I think believing that, and you have to kind of see it sometimes to believe it, which is why demonstration with paint in front of people is the best way of doing this. And this again, is the point where people are going to pause the podcast and go try it. And try it. Well, I have done some video uh, of mixing up silicon flesh tones, so I'll put the, 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 the link to that up as well. I'm just going to write this down. Just silicon. know that pigment and light don't work the same way if you take equal amounts of red blue and yellow light it doesn't give you brown it will give you white you know you're gonna you're gonna encounter that mm -hmm. um particularly if you're working on a show where there is going to be dramatic lighting with with lots of colored gels then that makes a huge you difference. may have to knowing what what the lights are going to be you may have to adjust <laughs> what your makeup looks like because perfect example the first time i designed young frankenstein i did the prosthetics and the makeup it was in you know ben nye frankenstein green which is a real it's a beautiful lovely, very pale um green grayish green but boy if you get green light or yellow on stage Frankenstein's monster looks like Shrek's cousin. 
doesn't quite doesn't quite look the way you envision it and going oh it's um, it's funny man you say you, you say stuff like that like i remember when i bought the first book i ever bought apart from the lee bacon's three-dimensional makeup the next book i bought was um the technique of the professional makeup artist by vincent kehoe and there's this whole chapter about kelvin and lighting and temperature of lighting and i remember mm-hmm. reading through it going a the lady in it has like 60s hair and makeup and b i'm never gonna need to know this stuff i remember thinking this is all irrelevant and i didn't understand it because it was difficult i cannot stress to you how important it is because when you throw light and gels have different colors when you change the light on a makeup it changes the color of the fucking makeup which is a big deal <laughs> It's a very important mm-hmm. thing. So being aware of how color changes things, especially light. Even how when light you're, changes even when you're doing it, putting the make, makeup on, you know, where you're, you're doing your application or where you're doing your formulation, you should be working in in daylight, starting out with, with lighting in your room that approximate, approximates day, daylight, which is 5,600 Kelvin. Yep. And then, and then work from there. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, you have to understand that the industry does this as standard. And so you do need to know this stuff. That's the kind of thing where your eyes roll. You go, yeah, but there's the industry you yeah. wish to try to get into. This is the, the how they talk all the time. <laughs> you do need yeah. to know this. But um, in terms of mixing pigments, believe in primary colors. And again, I'll put the link to the silicon flesh tones and also the primary color blog posts. Um, because that will be important and it makes a big yeah, difference. Color theory, color theory is critical. Definitely. You got to know this stuff. And I think it's the same for anything. If you work in hair coloring, you know, if someone has one color hair and they want it to be a different color, you have to know what to add to compensate and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, and that's, it's, it's that's another, important. another thing. You know, hair is not just one. Nobody's hair is one color. No, because when you see one color hair, when you buy like, you know, a, you know a wad of hair it, it it doesn't look right you know it has to have that i can, I can see color. it just looking at your face right here that you know aside from the grays the more gray that's in it than the last time i saw you yesterday <laughs> it was a rough day <laughs> uh there's there's different shades of red and brown in there there's there's at least three different colors in addition to gray mm-hmm. and there's probably more than one gray mm-hmm. there certainly is in and you know, you look at look at my salt and pepper face. Every gray hair earned every one. Yeah, they're almost all gray now. Number four, ninety percent of what you do won't get noticed. Hopefully, it's in brackets. Uh, but that stuff really needs to get done right. Uh, the fact that this big piece of rubber with edges and texture and fake hair is sitting there in plain sight and it's not getting noticed is by far the biggest compliment and the mark of success of your Oh, work. absolutely. You know, cause I, I was a visual effects animator for years before I decided I wanted to get in, into the practical stuff and the best compliment somebody could, could pay me is that they'd look at our work and couldn't tell that we'd done anything. Cause that's, that's the point. Yep. It's supposed you to look want real. It to, want it to go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of good that, stuff. That helps that helps with the suspension of disbelief, which is, you know, I think we're doing the, the coolest stuff 
there is anyway. You know, we play make believe and and get paid for it. It's good fun. How cool is that? It's good fun. But in order for us to get paid for it, it's gonna the work has to go ninety percent unnoticed. That's the thing. That's the point. Is like good work doesn't really draw attention to itself, which is probably why I'm so down on like zipper faces and fucking pencils through the nose and all that kind of shit. Because a when you see them done, they don't look like how a real thing would look. Like if, yeah. for example, a coke can was to magically smash its way through your face, it would not create a big bloody mess. It would create a gasket seal because it forced its way through. So it would be a tight like an arrow. In a mm-hmm. body, it doesn't. There's no massive hole around it. It's it's forced its it way through and pulls the skin, and it doesn't bleed really until you pull it out. Yeah, because there's no. It's it's a tight seal, but that doesn't look as good, so it doesn't get done. Um, but yeah, a lot of what makes good makeups look real is that it looked like it actually happened, rather than it looks like a person created it. And a lot of that comes from research. You know, you gotta study the thing you're trying to recreate in order to accurately recreate it but it's a weird mm-hmm. kind of irony that you know if you do a good job of something especially if it's on somebody that's not famous like if you put a nose on someone like tom cruise everyone kind of knows what his nose looks like so it's hard to make it look convincing but if you do it on someone that isn't particularly well known you know if you do a good character makeup on someone or you age them and they look genuinely older then if you were to show that to somebody they wouldn't necessarily know there's a makeup on that would actually be the biggest compliment, but it doesn't come with, you know, the same kind of accolade. Whereas, I mean, I've done things where I've done, you know, a big prosthetic and there's like this massive neck appliance and the piece was made as a generic piece. It's too pale. The guy's got a fucking beard. So we've had mm. to trim his beard down to stick this piece on, laid hair on, match his skin tone. And then no one knew he was wearing an appliance until it started bleeding. And then everyone thinks, oh, the blood's really clever and everything's amazing. And it's like, the blood's fucking, that's nothing. That's a piece of piss. But it's, the hard part was the massive piece of rubber you didn't comment on for the past three hours that he was acting in because you didn't know he was wearing anything. It's like, that's the hard part. So I think it's a good thing to be aware of that if you do things well, they should look real. And as a result, a lot of the times, if you're only doing wounds, that's probably not the case. But if you're doing realistic makeups, most of what you do doesn't get noticed. So um, that's something you should work towards and try and achieve. Yeah. I think wanna, it's a mark of good. If you want your work to get noticed and then you're, you're in the wrong field. I think so. Because when you do good stuff, it gets noticed by different people. You're not trying to kind of appeal to everyone. Um, number five, the last thing. Uh, when things don't go to plan, it's very easy to beat yourself up and thinking that you're no good. And everyone does this to some degree. And it is an uncomfortable feeling. And we mentioned this on step one when I said it's hard to be subtle. Um, to do that well, you kind of need to open up. And that can make you feel vulnerable. You know, to make things, to sculpt, to create things from scratch, to have ideas, to have the audacity to fucking have a creative outlet, you know, can feel like a, a scary thing. Because creating things is a deeply personal activity and it feels kind of like it's in a unique customized version of hell crafted personally just for you when it feels bad. And and that or uh, as unique as it feels to you, it's not a unique feeling Um, in an example. I'll give you an example. When I do a, a ball cap class and we measure, we have a group of people, we may have like 
10 people in the class. We'll measure everyone's heads. Yeah, we'll take the we'll take a tailor's tape and measure everyone's heads. Someone in that group will have the largest head. Someone in that group will have the smallest head. Those two people will take it upon themselves to now have another thing to hate about themselves. Having never previously known their head circumference, <laughs> they've suddenly decided, oh, I've got the largest head. That means blah, blah, blah. And they, they flesh it out very quickly with self-loathing. And then the person with the smallest head will do the same thing. And it's like, and the people in the middle are like the bell curve of fucking relief. It's like, no one gives a fuck about this. The, 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 unless you had to like Vaseline the door jams in order to get in this morning because your head wouldn't fucking grind past the door <laughs> and scrape the architrave. It doesn't, it, it's not a thing. But as soon as you put a number on it, it's like, oh, you know, let's, let's, let's line everyone up by high order. Let's weigh everyone. Let's look at your bank account and line you up in, in terms of your balance. I mean, it's, it's a stupid metric to go by. So when you make things for a living, understand that you wear your fucking heart on your sleeve. Your certain sensitivities go with the desire to create things on a regular basis. Well, this is something that we talked about when we when we did this presentation in in L.A. at IMATS is, you know, as artists, we're never satisfied with our work. So we're coming in, coming in this not not feeling great about the stuff that we do because that's just the way we are. Yeah. You know, as artists. And I, and I think we need to learn to accept this as just a fact of life yes we should never we should never think that our work is good enough as artists we should always be striving to to improve and be better than we are um that's we do what we do because we can't not do it mm-hmm. and not be feeling i mean it doesn't mean that we can't look at our work and, and think that that we've done a pretty good job and that, wow, that's, I've, I've improved. I'm getting better, but no matter how good we get, there's always going to be, there should always be room for improvement. Yes. And I think when you work for a deadline for someone, it's different when you're working for your own self. Yeah. The, if, when the day, if the day comes and you look at your work and you can see absolutely no room for improvement in, in any asset of, of what you do, that's a signal right there that you're either not trying hard enough or you need to be doing something else for a living because mm-hmm. no matter how good you get, somebody somewhere show you something that you didn't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's 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 what lets us know that we're we're still on the right track, that we're that that everything is a okay that we can look at our work and know that we could have done a better job yeah given more time more money better materials doesn't matter whatever it is there's always going to be room for improvement even if your work looks spectacular yeah you never get you ne- yeah the, you never you never reach the end of that road you're always chasing that dragon that, that that's an yeah. important thing to know i think I mean, I was this week. Okay, this week I've had a week off to sculpt. There's a head over there that I sculpted, and Monday and Tuesday I was sculpting, and I thought, I know it looks okay, but it's kind of shit. And then on Wednesday, 
something changed and I sculpted this face that I showed you and I was happier with it. I could still see things wrong with it, but there was a definite shift in things. And it's almost like it took me two days to work through that bullshit to get to the point where it was kind of acceptable. I can still think, yeah. see things wrong with it and I can still see, see things that I can improve, but I didn't do that at the cost of recognizing what I did well. And I think that's the important thing is to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's important to recognize what you can improve, but it's not just a case of only feeling shit about what you can't do or what you don't feel is good enough. It's acknowledging what you've done well enough to a degree so you can be happy with what you've done, but you do see how you could do it better or you could see where you're weak, like you say. Mm -hmm. But it's not a case of, oh, this is shit and I just fucking populate that with self-loathing instantly. It's like, no... It's just a case that, however, like a racer or not anyone, to say anyone. That, not to say that that doesn't happen too. That does happen. And it happens to but, everyone. But it happens then, to me all the time. We get over ourselves. No, but it's important to know that that. Move on. It is, but it's important to know that feeling doesn't necessarily go away. I, I still feel like that. And I've spoken to a few people who I know, who I hold in very, very high regard, who are fantastic sculptors, who kind of feel the same way. And I think the thing is, you make friends with it. You get used to that feeling, that nagging self-doubt never really goes away i think if you have it you're always going to have it the trick is to learn that you can still do really cool shit when that voice is nagging away in the back of your mind it doesn't necessarily go away it's okay but it's okay but there is something quite audacious about you know doing something like sculpting it's like it's not it's not necessary in the way that medicine is necessary or brain surgery or i don't know flying a fucking plane in a heavy crosswind those things feel like very important, essential things. This, the creative stuff is kind of, it can feel like, you know, surplus to requirements. But I think everyone that creates things feels that way at some point. And you're allowed to feel, you know, like there's this sort of self-policing kind of loathing thing going on in a way. But you mustn't let it take over everything. No. Oh. You really know can't. that it is shared by all of us. It really is. And it does not go, as somebody that's been doing this, since my 21st birthday so i've been doing this for 23 years now i promise you every time i pick up a, a piece of clay and a tool part of my brain is thinking fuck i can't do this i'm gonna get found out this is bullshit that imposter syndrome it doesn't go away but whilst that voice is whispering in my ear you're shit you can't do this and every negative thing i've ever heard about myself comes back at me I just go, you know, you can say that shit, but sit in the fucking corner while I get on and do this because I have to do this. I have a deadline. It needs to be done. So it's possible to do it. So you can still feel a little bit shitty about it while still doing really cool stuff. But as cool as it is, I kind of go, this is nice. This is nice. But I also know that this could be better. This isn't right. This isn't right. But it'll be fine for the job. But the next time I do this, I am now aware of those things. And you build on it each time. I'm just not destroyed by my observations of what I haven't done well. That's the thing. You're allowed to observe these things. You it's don't make mistakes. Getting used to it. You don't learn anything. No, you don't. But I just want everyone to know Learning. that doesn't go away. That feeling doesn't go away. There are no. precious few people, I think, that probably have, you know, they sit down with a bit of clay and they're like, I'm good to go. And at no point do they have a bad experience. Maybe their dad was always nice to them. I don't know. But it's just like at some point, you know, these nagging doubts are going to fucking eat inside. And you have to understand that that's, that's, that's normal. It's okay. And it doesn't mean you can't create. It just means you have to tell that voice to shut the fuck up while you get on with it. Yeah, it's just do your homework and and yeah, you know, there's no such thing as being over prepared. Yeah. So, you know, just just know going in that 
if you've if you've done your homework, if you've got your research, it'll be okay. Even if your first pass at whatever it is you're working on and you have to strip all the clay off and start over again. Yeah. It's okay. And you know, having sculpting is not like having children where you're only gonna have a few of these things. You can keep sculpting. This is not a precious entity. It's something the more you do it, the better you get. Um and that pain of like, you know, that self doubt and that feeling of like, oh god that is fucking normal. And I don't know anyone really that's worth a salt that doesn't feel that way. And I think if you don't have that discomfort it's probably because you're not pushing yourself. You're not you're not working in yeah, ground that's yeah, unfamiliar. It, it comes back to to working, having working in your comfort zone when you're first starting out. Mm-hmm. Do things that you're comfortable with until you get really really good at it, and then push yourself outside your comfort zone until you get good at that level, mm-hmm. and then push yourself. That's how you that's how you improve. Mm. If everything's just satisfactory all the time you're you're not going to improve yeah you know you you have to make some mistakes in order to to learn and move forward it's okay making mistakes is okay also you just don't want to do it a lot when you're getting paid for it um (laughs) but you make more mistakes later on if you don't make them in the beginning so yeah You've got to welcome yeah. them as, I mean, don't, none don't of be, those. Don't be afraid of failure. No, none, none, of, none of those mistakes feels like a good thing when they happen. It's only afterwards you kind of go, shit, you know, there was a, uh, you know, a, a, a climate, you know, a change yeah. of, of well, a I'd, significant I'd, shift yeah, when in things. You, if you do something, if you really fuck something up and learn from it, you know, well, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I know, I know better than to pour platinum silicone into a tin mold. I'm going to do a little research and find out why that didn't set up. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and, and that's the correct response. Yeah, You're allowed to feel then, shit about it. And then it. you move forward. Yeah. But you've got to move past it because otherwise it just, that becomes then the limit of your thing. And you know, what's the difference between a master and the apprentices? The masters failed more times than the apprentices tried. It's, it's true. I mean, a lot of the people that you admire, the, the makeups you've seen, they've just fucked up more when you weren't around to see it. That's all that happened. They fucked up before you came on scene. That's that's it. That, that you know, you know, when you look at all these amazing makeups, it's like we, before you were here, they mm-hmm. were fucking stuff up, and now you're seeing the good shit. So the trick is to stick with it and stay with it. So to recap, so the takeaway is number one, it's hard to be subtle. Number two, there are other important qualities to recreating skin other than just the shape and color. Number three, believe in primary colors and the effect they can have on your paint job. Number four, 90% of what you do won't get noticed, hopefully. And number five, when things go don't go to plan, it's easy to beat yourself up and thinking you're no good. That's normal, but you've got to let that shit go because you are not, that is not you. As unique as that feeling feels to you, everyone let has that go. unique feeling. Let it go. Let it go. Because that's normal. Let it wash over you. It'll pass like a hangover. It's horrible, but it will go. And just temper your... All things will pass. All things will pass. Just let it temper. But you're in good company. That's the thing. Every, yeah. Everyone that does stuff like this, whether whether it's songwriting, whether it's script writing, whether it's acting, whether it's sculpting, you have shit times. Things fucking frustrating and it's all wrong. 
and you work it out and you just keep coming back, keep chipping away at that. Oh, no, there, there are at least a couple of times a month when I think I should be working at Home Depot and I'm going to get found out one of these days. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. <sighs> so there we go. I needed this. Podcast number 23. You needed a break. Woohoo. That was good. Mate, thank you very much for your time. Well, well, thank you for making me do it. We dug deep. Yeah, that was good. And um, if you, like I say, if you have any questions about this or anything else, please do get in touch. Well, we, I mean, the last couple of days we've had probably about 45 emails come in, um, most of which have been answers to the question uh, for the for the thing. I saw a couple of people have actually put comments on the blog post, even though the, the picture explicitly says email this email address. Um, so sure. do that. Uh, we've had we more than 20 instructions. No, we've had more than 22 replies because naturally we have more than 22 listeners, which I'm very pleased to say. Um, but what it means is what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all the names when the deadline hits. You'll see on the Facebook page. Check us out on Facebook. Battles of Bits of Rubber, Facebook, Google. You know how to use it. You know the name of this podcast. It's Battles of yeah. Bits of Rubber. Stuart at gmail.com. Email us. Track us on Facebook. Um, yeah, that co- that competition that's still live. But what we're going to do is we're probably going to have, I don't know, maybe 100 uh, replies. I'm going to put them all, all the names in a, t- in a hat. I'm going to pick out 22 names. The 22nd name is the one that's going to win because that was for the 22nd podcast. That seems as fair a way of doing it as possible. Yeah, maybe we'll have more contests in the future, like uh, maybe somebody can can win a copy of the third edition when it comes out. That would be cool. That would be very cool. Yeah. I mean, competition thing is not something I thought much about, but that's what occurred to me. Though. I actually have a runner-up prize as well. There's a couple of people I'll get with a runner-up prize um, of some other sculpting tools from um, CES. They're not the Steve Wang series. Some of the ones that you made? No, no, no. From, from CES. Ray Originals? No. They're from CES, but I could make some too. <laughs> You're just sitting there twisting shapes and cutting tubing and being mechanically creative. I like it. I do. And I've got these really nice jeweler's uh, pliers with the rounded noses. So they re- you get really tight curls Yeah, on. those are great. And uh, I bought some of those. And uh, next week I'm at Palmer Studios uh, teaching a sculpting course. And one of the things I want to do for, for an hour or so is make a bunch of tools with the people on the course because – that's a nice thing to do, partly because I think it's nice to be able to make your own tools, but also it's just fucking good fun. It's just really nice. Um, it comes back to that thing of like, you know, making the things that you use is is a good thing to do. You know, you're fully inv- invested and involved in the process. Yep, and if you know how to make it, then you can fix it. Exactly. And I had to a podcast or a blog post. I did a blog post on repairing loot tools, which is another thing. So there we go. Dude, um, you need to get back to your book. Dude. I need to go to sleep. Yeah, I got. You need to finish that wine first. I'm going to finish that wine. It's only because it's gone midnight for me. What time is it there for you? It is. It's um, five thirty. Well, it's half yeah half past midnight here, so we're a good seven hours ahead. But um, this worked out very well because I wanted to watch a couple of episodes of Walking Dead. So I'm halfway through season seven, which is uh, you know Negan's a fucker, isn't he? Not a nice yes, guy. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's be a great next door neighbor, don't you think? Yeah, polite to your face, but Negan, you want to come over for, for a cookout? <laughs> I can't imagine anyone Bring else playing that character either. He's fucking Jeffrey D. Morgan. He's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. 
And the thing is, he looked younger in that than he did in The Watchmen, which I know he was supposed to be an older chap in that. But that was a fucking good makeup, mm-hmm. on that, which is very cool. Did some life cast for The Watchmen, you know? You did? Yeah. When uh, me and Neil, we did um, Ozymandias, is it? The the, the guy. Yeah, the, the, the guy. You know, at the end, he has a helmet. So we did a life cast of him with, I think it was Body Double, which I didn't like using. It was the original body double, not the body double silk. This was before the silk came out. Yeah, body yeah, it's body doubles improved a lot, and that that was probably when they didn't even have hyperfolic yet. That you no, 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 it was basically it was that lanolin cream. Yes, that was yeah. like a wax. Yeah, uh, but no, no, the hyperfolic changes everything. That's very good stuff. Yeah. Well, there we go, dude. Bye, right, buddy. You should get on. I've got to get on. Thank you very much for the podcast time. And I will speak to you very soon because we're going to do these more often because we haven't been for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to badger you. They may be shorter, perhaps, because but at the end of the day, I find it very hard to do less than an hour because once I get going, that's when the good shit starts happening. For me, it yeah, feels more still, natural. We so. still want to do one one about plastilines. Yeah, we need to do one about plastilines. I want to do about the clays. Uh, and the thing is, we're kind of led by what happens. So if people ask, if enough people ask things, then we do, you know, additions about that. So uh, do send your emails in. We yeah, email suggest, suggest a topic to us. Mm-hmm. So email us, stuartandtodd at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Look for Battles with Bits of Rubber. And uh, we will gladly uh, indulge and look and, uh, and, and, and throw up some stuff and, and get on the mic and talk about it. Yeah. Till next time. Thanks very much, dude. Later.